Father, we thank you and praise you that uh, you sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He is our Redeemer. We call him blessed. He is our blessed Redeemer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Pray that in the next few moments as we open up your word again, you would show us through your Holy Spirit the incredible power that he brings, things that we've never seen before, that you would make me alive via your spirit, that you would fill us all, that we would sense your holiness and your presence in this place. Even when we're far apart from others, we know we are not far apart from you. Give us grace in our families. Give us faith for the future. And help us to see the incredible hope that this great event brings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. For hundreds of years, Christians have celebrated Today, this event we call Good Friday. I imagine if I was outside of the faith and completely unfamiliar with this holiday, that that would seem a very strange name for it indeed. Why in the world would you call it good? This is the day your leader died. And not only death, but a terrible one as well. So why then do we call it good and what makes it good? That is the question I'd like to answer for us today, and I'll do so in three movements. Answering the question, why Good Friday is actually good. Now let's go back to that outsider for a minute and see if we can put ourselves in their shoes and think the way they would think. I I think as a modern American, you would be able to somewhat understand the idea of sacrifice or valor. For example, in the military or some other branch of the service like that, we can imagine what it would be like for an army captain or someone else like that in defeating their enemy to go back for the person who is left behind to lay down their life and hold off his enemies until everybody else can escape and die to save a few of his friends. We get that. But in the case of Jesus, you don't see him killing anyone else. You don't see him winning the battle necessarily, and all you see is him being falsely accused and hung up on a tree. So why then would we call it good? Well, continuing the battle analogy, I think Even if you're an unbeliever, even if you're totally outside the faith, you're probably familiar with the terms like the war of good versus evil. You you recognize the fact, whether you're a Star Wars fan or Lord of the Rings person or whatever you believe in, you understand that there's a tension in our universe that 
pulls against itself. You see the, the fight of the forces of good versus evil. And sometimes in our experience or sometimes in what we see on the news or in TV or in other places, it looks like good wins and we're thankful for that. But in other times it looks like evil wins and we question that or fear that or don't understand it. And I think deep within all of us, there's this hope that eventually good will deal a decisive blow to the forces of evil. That there will actually be a time when all of evil is eliminated and good is all that endures forever. Well, just like we long for that, so too at the time of Jesus. When Rome was in charge, people were desperately desiring deliverance. They'd been enslaved for long enough. They were paying taxes. They weren't getting representation. They were upset, taken advantage of, and tired of being under someone else's thumb. With those feelings running high, all of a sudden there comes along this guy, born in a very different way, a unique way. He seems to have all the right pedigree. And as he develops and grows and becomes a man, you see attention immediately being drawn to him. He begins to heal the sick. And he hangs out with people that the upper echelons would never touch. He feeds the hungry and raises the dead. He walks on water and turns water to wine. And people begin to wonder, could this be the one? Well, it seemed like it. At least for a while. But then like a lot of good things in life, all of a sudden, there's a change and things begin to turn. Now, the very people who are cheering for him have turned against him. He's betrayed and falsely accused, crucified and killed. And from the outside looking in, we ask, how is that good? From a Christian's worldview, we would describe this as the battle of good versus evil. Satan is always trying to thwart the plan of God. In fact, way back before we even showed up on the planet, he started his efforts of resistance. When the first two human beings were made, Satan infiltrates that perfect garden. And he comes alongside them to deceive them and tempt them and convince them to disobey the one who made them. Satan, God's ultimate enemy has been messing things up really bad ever since. And not just Satan, but we ourselves and the effect of sin. And so what we want, what we desire, that perfection, that redemption, that restoration is really deep within the human being, deep within the human psyche to get back to that original state. We want to get back to Eden, the place where the world was perfect and there was no sin or suffering, and all was good before evil and war and sin and death began. The problem, however, is that we're all broken. And so while we desire perfection, listen to this carefully, you cannot purchase perfection with imperfection. You cannot purchase perfection with imperfection. Everything we have and everything we are is broken. And so trying to exchange that for something that's not is a non-starter. What we need is something or maybe someone 
who is not. We need someone to come in and break the tie that binds us. We need someone to deliver us from the grip of sin and death. We need someone to overcome all that is bad and swap it out for all that is good. We need a Savior. But let me remind you, there's this guy. Born in a very unique way. In a manger. To a virgin named Mary, whose husband Joseph was descendant from kings. This guy they call Jesus of Nazareth, he he heals the sick, he he feeds the hungry, he he walks on water, he raises the dead, and he turns water into wine. Could this be the one? The answer is yes. Even though Jesus was crucified, as it turns out, his crucifixion is the very thing that was necessary to save us. In the battle of good versus evil, the decisive, victorious blow was actually when Jesus was hung on the cross. What happens at this point in the story, the way it's developing, is that even though we're broken and we can't get to God, and all of our efforts fail, God has made a way. And so for us who long for perfection, who long for healing and long for grace, what we can do is take all of our sin and put it on Jesus. And when we put it on him, he carries it to the cross. And there on the cross, the full wrath of God is poured out on God the Son so that Everything we've ever done that deserves to be punished is fully absorbed by Jesus himself. This provides hope. It provides a promise of future restoration and bodily resurrection. And that's good. That's really good. That's good for me. I need that. That's good for you. You need that. That's good for all of us, all the world, creation, eternity, redemption, restoration, the whole kit and caboodle. That is good. How could we call this Good Friday? Because this is the day in which the decisive blow was dealt to the forces of evil in which our eternal redemption has been secured. Good Friday is good for us. That's the first reason we call it good. I told you at the start, we'd say there are three things. Number one, Good Friday is good for us. It's good for us. Just from our own self-interest driven perspective of suffering and sin and death, the fact that Jesus takes it all on himself and makes a way for us to go to God and be forgiven and be redeemed forever and ever is good news. That's the greatest news ever. Hey, listen, here's a little aside. I hear some people saying things like, okay, what are churches going to do now that there's a coronavirus? Are they going to be able to celebrate Easter? Yes, of course we are. We celebrate Easter the same way we have for 2,000 years. The message, the content, the substance, the essence, it's all the same. Easter is the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and has nothing to do with whether we worship together in a big group or whether we worship together in small groups in our home. Nothing changes the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for the forgiveness of sins. 
That is good news. So number one, the first point I want to make, and I want to make it really hard, really heavy, really clear, and really true, is that the cross is good. The Easter message is, this is the time when Jesus himself dealt the decisive blow against the forces of evil that secures our redemption. Number one, the cross is good for us. Number two, the cross is good for God. Now, you may wonder, how can the cross be good for God? Well, it's like this. It is good in the sense that it shows his heart. If we didn't have the cross, we might think that God was some vindictive, cruel, unforgiving, higher being simply out to judge us. But the cross shows us something entirely different. The cross shows us that God loves us so much, for God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us so much, he gave us his son. I'm not sure there's a lot of people out there that I'd want to do that for. And yet God does it for us, even while we were sinners and enemies. God loves us. It shows us his true heart. It fulfills his purpose. If he didn't overcome evil with good, then evil would win. But God, all along, from the very beginning, before the foundations of the earth, had a full plan in place. And so this battle that we talk about was really never in question. It was one that he knew he would win, and he knew exactly when he'd win it. He just hadn't won it yet until he sent his only son to die on the cross. And then, when Jesus died... The decisive blow was struck, and it shows that God's purposes are never thwarted and will never fail. Even if the devil tries to kill God's own son, Jesus still wins. It shows his purpose. It shows his heart. It shows his infinite plan that from the beginning of time, there are no surprises. He knows everything. He's not reacting to plan B or option two or three. This is plan A from the very start. It shows his true power. That even death itself cannot hold our Savior down. And it makes forgiveness possible. Listen to this. This is interesting. If we want a good and loving God, we also want a just God. It's really hard to do that. In fact, impossible if you don't have the cross. But the cross allows for God to be 100% just and for 100% forgiving At the same time, because we who deserve God's justice can be forgiven because what comes in between us is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus pays for our sin. And as a result, our debt is removed. God's justice and wrath are satisfied. And now we can be made one with him again. And so the cross makes it possible for God to be both just and merciful. So in so many ways, and we could go on and on, but I'm thinking you're getting the point by now, is the cross really shows God to be good. It shows him to be loving. It shows him to be purposeful. It shows him to be a planner. It shows him to be powerful. It shows him to be just and forgiving and merciful all at the same time in one single event. The cross is good. This is Good Friday because it shows God to be good. Now, here's the last and final point. And you may find this one to be the strangest of all. I know I struggled with it for a little bit, but it is quite amazing. And it's this. The 
cross is good for us. The cross is good for God the Father. And the cross is even good for God the Son. Now, how in the world can that be true? Well, as I read the book of 1 Peter, one of the things that I noticed is that the sufferings of Christ are inextricably linked to his subsequent glories. In the same clause, in the same sentence, in the same breath, in the very same space, suffering and glory always go together. Without the suffering, there could be no glory. Why is that? Because Jesus could not have accomplished his most phenomenal act if he had never suffered. But it is through his suffering and his death that he does what nobody else could do. And as a result of enduring the greatest shame, he gets the greatest glory. In the case of the cross, the suffering is good for Jesus because it shows Jesus' glory like nothing else. If you don't believe me, listen to Dr. J. Scott Harrell of Dallas Theological Seminary. He's a professor of theological studies. And he makes this observation in a Christmas devotional that he wrote in 2015. He says, look, when I study the word lamb, and I search for it throughout the New Testament, I've discovered that it occurs, the word lamb occurs in the New Testament 32 times. 32 times the word lamb occurs in the New Testament. Of those 32 times, 27 of the 32 are in the book of Revelation. The last book of the New Testament, the prophetic one that shows us the future and what will happen when God reigns forevermore. And what Harrell points out is this, is that as we encounter that book, we're expecting certain things. We know Handel's Messiah and we know all these other great works and we're listening for the chorus to scream out, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But what in fact we hear is something quite different. When the Apostle John, exiled on the island of Patmos, encounters the glorified Jesus himself, he notices that Jesus' face was like lightning, like sun shining in all of its brilliance, like a radiant star, like, like nuclear energy blazing forth. He is so bright that earth and sky flee from his presence. And then as John is transported into heaven, the reader, us, we are expecting to see something even more glorious. How could it be more glorious than that? We don't know, but we know it's going to be good because this is what we saw on earth and we're going to see something even better in heaven. Yet, once John arrives, what he sees is not an exploding supernova, but instead a lamb that was slain. What a strange and jolting image. A bloody lamb? This Jesus then is worshipped, Revelation 5, 9 says, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so throughout the whole remainder of the book, the end prophecy, the future of all things, the sun does reign, the sun does rule, but 
his glory, the most glorious thing he did, centers upon the fact that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. What is the highest title that was ever given to Jesus? King of kings, Lord of lords, great I am. According to Dr. Harrell, maybe even Revelation, it is the lamb who was slain. Why do we call it good? It's good for us because it secures our redemption. It's a final blow that defeats the forces of evil. It's good for God because it shows how incredibly good he actually is. And it's good for Jesus because through this act, he is more glorified than any other. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I pray for you tonight. I hope for you tonight. I hope that this is an encouraging message and I don't know emotionally or spiritually where you're at right now, but we Regardless of your location, I know this. That Jesus' death is for you and for me. By this, we are healed. Many times when we see a crucifix, we might see a Savior with his arms spread wide and his head down on the cross. Somewhat signaling death and defeat. But in my mind, after reading this and studying this passage conclusion I come to is entirely different. His death is not his defeat. His death is his victory. When he says it is finished, he means it. Evil has been defeated. Death is destroyed. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. There is redemption. There is hope. Because God is good. God is in control. And Jesus wins. Father, we thank you and praise you for your great victory. The battle in good and evil is never in question. You had a plan from the very beginning and you do all things well and you weren't thwarted or surprised. You're in control. And Lord, as we get ready to worship tonight, through communion and the Lord's Supper, we just ask that you will help us to focus our hearts once again on our Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again. To him be the honor and glory and power forevermore. Amen.